Chapter Sixteen of The Man Who Ended War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Man Who Ended War by Hollis Godfrey. Chapter Sixteen. Quietly, we drew back from the parapet and closing the scuttle behind us started down the narrow stairs at their base dorothy stopped suddenly as tom came up he noticed her delay and paused with his hand on the latch what is it girl he asked almost tenderly you think we ought to go on do you asked dorothy hesitatingly of course we're going on said tom there's no question about it that's what we're here for what's the matter anyway frankly i don't know said dorothy slowly if we come through this all right, I'll try never to say a word again, but somehow, somehow... She broke off without finishing. Cheer up, old girl, comforted Tom, putting his arm about her waist. What should we do without your valiant spirit? I stood there mute. This was a new Dorothy, a silent, questioning woman different from the one I knew, and yet like her. I could not seem to collect my scattered wits enough to be of any service. With an effort, Dorothy squared her shoulders come on she said firmly and we started out for the door tom and i a couple of steps behind good for you i whispered as we turned in beside the haberdasher shop and started up the stairs at whose top we were forced to believe stood the laboratory of the man we sought the workshop of the man who was trying to stop all war as we reached the second landing tom turned to me this is the queerest mixture of fireproof and fire trap i've ever heard of he ejaculated iron stairs and wooden landings with two doors on each side wonder if it keeps on like this all the way up it did iron stairs and wooden landings succeeded each other till the fourth story showed two doors one on either side of a landing dimly illuminated by a skylight it's one of the two whispered tom he tried one door softly locked tried the other to my surprise it opened and a bare room much like that where Tom and I had waited through the weary hours in Bloomsbury met our view. Just at that moment we heard a footstep clang on the iron stair below, and around the bend the handle of a broom came into sight, followed by an arm clad in the sleeve of a coarse jumper. The janitor halted in amazement as he saw our phalanx of three standing in the empty room. Before he could open his mouth I addressed him. "'I want to rent this room.' i said it suits me in many ways what's the rent four pund a month sir thank you came the answer anybody else on this same story i asked just uh mr cragent thank you sir who has a workshop across the way he's out for good to-day but he's been in and out quite a bit the few days he's been here thank you sir i think he'll make you no trouble sir i looked at tom and dorothy who signed affirmatively i'll take it i said shall i have to see the agent no sir thank you answered the man i'm the acting agent for this one building very well then here you are i handed over four pounds for the first month's rent and turned back to survey my new-found quarters more carefully it was evidently one of two front rooms looking out on the street the other front room with the rooms in the wing which stretched back must belong to the mysterious cragent sullied with fog and smoke our place was a typical london office whose grey marble mantle and grate was the only relief to the naked walls the janitor without a sign of wonder at our sudden invasion of his premises turned with his broom and clanged down the iron stairs 
Tom and Dorothy and I went inside and nearly closed the door, leaving it open a crack for the purpose of observation. As long as we may have to be here off and on for a week or more, we may just as well be comfortable about it, said Tom in a low tone. Two of us can stay here while the other one goes and gets some chairs and a little coal. You and Dorothy keep on the lookout while I get enough furnishings to make us comfortable for a few hours. Sure thing, I said, my heart leaping at the chance of a short tete-a-tete with Dorothy. I'm going with you, Tom, said Dorothy. Jim can watch alone, all right. And she started out on the landing ahead of her brother. Tom threw one glance at me. See you shortly, he said, and followed. I resumed my place of watching. Half an hour passed, and Tom and Dorothy were back with porters, carrying a table, chairs, and coal. In ten minutes after their arrival, there was a brisk fire in the grate. We were comfortably disposed about it, and the porters had departed. Dorothy sat gazing into the fire with the same dreamy quiet which had so characterized her appearance for the last few days. I sat watching Dorothy, and Tom was busy lighting his pipe. Suddenly I heard a slight and repeated noise. With a sign to Tom, I rose and tiptoed to the door. There was no one coming up. I went to the landing and listened. No more result. Yet I had surely heard footsteps. I went back into the room and closed the door. Tom was beside me in a moment, pipe in hand. But as I cast a hurried glance about me, I saw that Dorothy had not stirred. She still sat, her head on her hand, gazing into the glowing coals. The footsteps were louder now, and I went to one boundary wall and then to another. There was someone pacing up and down in Cragent's rooms. Tom was beside me as I bent to listen, his face the picture of eagerness. There must have been someone in there all the time, I whispered. But if there was, I should have thought he would have been disturbed by our moving in, and would have come out. The janitor told me that Cragent had not come in, and that there was no one working with him, muttered Tom. I don't see through it. Back and forth went the steps. Tom put his pipe in his mouth and began smoking with long, regular puffs. I believe there's another entrance to these rooms, he said finally. I'm going out to reconnoiter. Silently and carefully he tiptoed out, without Dorothy's knowing of his departure. I brought my chair over near the wall and sat down to wait. A hush followed, broken only by the incessant low roar of the city, that roar which to the attentive ear in its deep, firm bass is wholly differentiated from the shrill staccato of New York, the lower, swifter tones of Paris, or the middle-toned, ordered hum of Berlin. On the other side of the wall the steps went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, turn, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, turn, on and on, with unvarying regularity marched the heavy, thrusting step that reverberated over the old floor. Dorothy sat motionless, her eyes still fixed upon the fire, oblivious to the world, her soft hair contrasting with the rich fur of her coat lying draped over the back of an old chair. I heard the slow creak of an opening door and went softly toward a beckoning arm in gray. I won't come in, whispered Tom excitedly. I've got the trick. There's another entrance to his rooms. We'll cage him between us and get a good look at him anyway. There's a little office corresponding to this on the other side where I can wait. You stay by the bay window and watch for me. If he comes my way, wave to me. If he comes yours, I'll wave to you. Gee, I haven't had more fun for an age. Off Tom traveled, down the stairs, walking with an exaggerated caution, and I turned in, smiling. 
Dorothy had not roused at the interruption. I began to worry a bit about this strange abstractedness. Could she be quite well? No, that was quite foolish, for she seemed the picture of health. Then the footsteps took my attention for a moment. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Turn and repeat. It was like the trampling of feet in the tale of two cities. The single footstep seemed to swell into a roar of charging troops. Was this walker the man who was trying to stop all war? Were the footsteps above and around those of the thousands he had slain, or that he was to slay? Were we marching among the ghostly shades of the future? Were we in that crowding throng? What dreadful mystery lay behind the wooden panels of those windows? I fell to speculating on the appearance of the stranger behind the wall, and always the form of the man who was trying to stop all war took on the slight graceful form of a southerner, and the face was the clear swarthy face of Regnier. Try as I might, I could not give the shadowy man we pursued any other face or form. The footsteps went on and on. Dorothy aroused. Where's Tom? she said, looking around. He's away for a moment. I said slightly mendaciously. He'll be back shortly. He ought to have told me he was going, she said a little impatiently. But her reverie proved too strong for her to escape, and she sank back into a dreamy abstraction. The twilight began to come down as we sat watching, and as I listened. As it fell, the fire's rose played yet more softly on Dorothy's beautiful hands lying on the arm of her chair showed a bit of rounded cheek and a translucent shell-like ear. Gradually I forgot my whole mission. The man became a ghost and faded silently away. Tom, waiting on tiptoe in the office next door, was quite forgotten. Dorothy and I and the fire. This new Dorothy, dreamy, quiet, almost clinging, with those new depths in her eyes, was carrying me quite beyond myself. "'Dorothy,' I said, in a low voice. "'Dorothy,' she turned. "'What is it, Jim?' I tried to speak, but I could not. The rushing words overwhelmed me. I could not make myself intelligible, and I sat there shivering with the intensity of my feelings, and yet unable to say what I wished. I found my voice again. Dorothy, I began, I want to tell you. Dorothy's eyes met mine for a moment, and then her long lashes fell. I've been thinking, she stammered. Thinking, thinking, I bent forward eagerly, of our old home on Long Island Sound. The words came with a rush, as if she had just seized them from the air. You never went down there, but it's the loveliest place, she went on hurriedly. The sea in a great crescent bay, paved with the whitest sand, and an old colonial house on a little rise. She was talking at top speed now. But, Dorothy, I broke in, I want you to know... She gave me no chance to finish. Tom has a laboratory that he has fitted up down by the shore, she went on still more swiftly the words fairly tumbling over each other and we work there when we're not off on the black arrow when we get back i'm going straight down i want to see the place so badly dorothy i began again oh and did you see the account of the reception at the ambassadors said dorothy as hastily as before they had the whole thing twisted upside down names all tangled up they got tom's name as professor thomas orrington and you as james she stopped short how did they get yours i asked eagerly did you see that they are tearing up the embankment down by the obelisk was the extremely pertinent reply as all three of us had spent a quarter of an hour a day or two before watching those same operations 
it seemed probable that i had seen them but dorothy i pleaded just a minute i want to dorothy sprung from her chair and started for the door i am going to find tom she said stop i called in a low voice the man is on the other side of the partition walking up and down listen dorothy stood still for a moment in the very poise of flight and we both listened intently the roar of the city was the only sound the measured footsteps had ceased when they had stopped i had no idea i had proved an unfaithful watcher then for heaven's sake where's tom i cried as i rushed to the window dorothy surprised from her attitude followed me i gazed from the window up and down the house fronts and street tom was nowhere in sight dorothy leaned forward beside me to look out and in the intoxication of her immediate presence every idea beside my wish to tell her of my love was swept away i seized her hand dorothy i exclaimed you must and shall hear what i am going to say her hand at first fluttering and striving to escape gave up its struggle and she stood silent listening with averted head dorothy i began again at that very moment the door flew open and tom red and breathless dashed into the room dorothy sprang towards him like a startled fawn and i was left with outstretched hand the modern tantalus of london tom was too excited to notice our positions well i must say you're a pretty pair he exclaimed all this work and trouble gone for nothing because you wouldn't take a little bit of care at the end you call yourself a newspaper man there's only one department you can handle and that's the obituary column what's the matter i asked coming down to earth matter cried tom disgustedly the whole thing's up so far as this clue is concerned and we've got to start in all over again i've seen the man and if you had been even reasonably alert you'd have seen him too and we would have had him trapped you've seen the man are you sure asked dorothy breathlessly tom nodded gravely i have and i think for some reason that he knew me he answered more slowly when i left you i went over to the office on the other side and waited i just sat where i could see if anyone opened on my side i had been there perhaps half an hour when the door opened and a man in a slouch hat whose face was hidden in the dim twilight of the hall stepped out just as he caught sight of me he jumped back and locked the door that's the time for jim i said to myself and ran to the window and waved i could have waved my arm off i believe and you would never have known it so when i realized that i hurried down and over to these stairs on the third flight i heard steps coming down the fourth i came up very softly and there just ascending was the man in the slouch hat when he saw me he threw up his arm across his face said what sounded to me like you again and backed away into the darkness of the corner i followed but before i could reach him a door behind him flew open and he dashed through slamming it in my face i flew against the door and it gave by the time i was in the room he was across it and out the other door i followed him down the stairs but lost him in the street if you people had been half decently on the watch we'd have had something but now he knows we're after him and he'll simply disappear from here but i believe i've seen that chap somewhere before there was a queer familiarity about him and what did he mean by you again it's barely possible that your old theory may be right jim or it may be that you have driven regnier so into my head that i look to find him in a man i don't know at all well i know said dorothy with a sudden reversion to her old independent spirit it isn't but how did the man happen to have keys in his hand for those doors on the story below i don't understand that i don't know i'm sure said tom 
I was in too much of a hurry to get at the chap to pay any attention to the way he unlocked the doors. Of course, there is a bare chance that the fellow may be a harmless citizen who mistook me for either a highwayman or a lunatic. Not with the wooden panels on the windows, said Dorothy. Let's go down and look at the doors. Regretfully, I locked the door and left the bright fire in bare-walled room where Dorothy had come so near to listening to me. I was disappointed. Of course I was disappointed at my carelessness in losing the man I sought. But Dorothy's hand had lain in mine without struggling in that last instant of time before Tom came in. There was some balm in Gilead. Yet delays are dangerous, and I felt I must not lose time in following up any advantage gained. As I turned the corner of the stairs, I heard a low exclamation from Dorothy and Tom's expressive whistle. They were bending over an open door, examining the lock with a match, which Tom held shielded between his palms. As I joined them, Tom pointed without comment at the place where the lock had been. Its bare wood showed lighter surfaces as the signs had showed the marks of the handiwork of the man, and nail holes that told of disappearing metal. "'How's that for a picklock?' said Tom. "'The other one was opened in just the same way. Cragent is the man, and I saw him, but I couldn't reach him. "'What a control he must have over his instrument "'to be able to destroy a battleship "'and open the lock of a door by means of disappearing metal.' "'Dorothy shuddered. "'It's dark here and cold. "'I want to go back to the hotel,' she said a little tremulously. "'I'll be all right in the morning, "'and I'll go with you after the man, but now I'm tired.' tired i think the horror of the thing shadowed us all a bit in that gloomy old london house the darkness of the corners the man who had slain so many of his fellow men separated from us by a single partition seemed gruesome and deadening those footsteps pacing up and down did they mean more slaughter new inventions was the mysterious man whom we had sought the familiar figure tom had imagined and dominating thought of all did dorothy's hand rest in mine without struggling that last moment there was enough to keep my thoughts at work on the way home even though dorothy persistently gazed from the window of the four-wheeler and uttered never a word as we left the carriage tom broke silence if you feel like it jim i think it wouldn't be bad plan to look up hammerly tonight and see what he says to all this a good idea i said i'll get a hasty bite and run up there no use in wasting time all right said tom and dorothy as we parted gave me one shy glance that sent me away in a golden maze of joy and hope hamerly was out when i arrived at his lodgings called away suddenly for a couple of days the maid reported on my way back however i came to one very definite conclusion hamerly must have seen the man face to face in dr heidenmuller's laboratory he could settle one vexed question anyway I was going to find a picture of Regnier, if there was one to be had. I reached the Savoy to find word from Tom that he and Dorothy had gone over to the Cecil to see some friends. I followed, leaving word at the office that I had gone. As I stood in the corridor waiting, a page came by, calling my name for the telephone. I took up the receiver with a deep thrill of anticipation. Orrington? Yes, it was one of her correspondents. War just declared between England and Germany. I have inside information that the fleets will meet in the channel tomorrow off Dover. I suppose you'll hunt your man there? I'm off for the scene of battle by the first train, I answered. Much obliged, and I hung up the receiver. As I stepped out under the great awning at the head of the courtyard, the gaiety and life of the full tide of evening was sweeping through. 
beautifully dressed women, gallant men, life and youth and pleasure, and tomorrow? What? Would a single one of those mighty ships, would one of those brave sailors return? As I stood there, a hush came. The news which I had heard had just been received. Then came a mighty roar, war, war, war. Then, as it died away, out burst a great increasing wave of song, the whole multitude joining in one mighty chorus, God save the king. I saw Dorothy hastening towards me, her lips quivering. Jim, have you got to go to sea? She said, stammering. I'm so afraid no boat will ever return. And she ended with a sob. I could wait no longer. Dear love, I said, I must, but I love you, dear. And if I die tomorrow or fifty years off, I love you and you alone. And there, as the last bars of the song rang forth in the full tide of exultation, as the clamor of the crowded street outside rose to its height, Dorothy and I came to our own. End of chapter 16